Good morning. Yeah, let's clap for that. Well, I am so glad to be with you today. Thank you for all of you who are watching online. Last service, my very hunky hubby was watching from San Diego, and he texted me and he said, um, I teared up a little bit when you called me out in, in service. He was like, I think I just really miss you. We have been without each other for a month now, a month. I know, I get him back on Tuesday. We moved to San Francisco on Wednesday, and we're super, super excited. Yeah, I know. So good. So good. I actually get my biggest girl, my oldest girl, Mackenzie, flies in tonight, and then she leaves at 5.15 tomorrow morning with the students here to go to Oregon to CIY. So I'm going to hug her real quick, and then we're going to go to bed because she's got to get up early tomorrow. But I'm super excited to be with you guys here today. Um, I was Vanellope Von Sweet, so if any of you are very confused that my hair is smaller and I have less makeup on right now and no candy sticking out of every part of my body. Um, it was such a good week, and it was so amazing to be with, you know, 160-some world changers and getting to tell them how much God loves them. So it was an amazing, amazing job. And now we're sending off our high schoolers to CIY tomorrow in Oregon, so be sure to be praying for them. Well, we are in the third week of our series on the life of David. The first week we started um, with David and Goliath, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Last week we talked about one of David's biggest mistakes, you know, where he took that trust and... Um, and that faith in God that he had to kill Goliath, and he instead turned to self-preservation and deception, and that cost an entire town its life, including 85 priests. But I think the saving grace last week was when we learned that David, when he was confronted with that, did what so many leaders don't do, and he stopped, took on full responsibility for what had happened, he repented, and then he reoriented his life back to trusting in God again. And I don't know about you, but that was a huge piece of hope for me as somebody who messes up all the time to know that the, the man that the Bible describes as the man after God's own heart messed up but repented and reoriented his life again, and God allowed um, his life to continue to see victory. And so that was super good for me. Today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're gonna spend a lot of time in scripture today. So if you have a paper Bible with you or an old-fashioned Bible with you today, you can go ahead and open that up to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel is a book of the Bible in the Old Testament, so at the beginning of the Bible, and you can find most of David's story there. We'll spend some time there. We'll also have it up on the screens for you, so don't worry. You can follow along. There, But before we dive in, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that you want to teach us through your word today. So Holy Spirit, do that. Don't allow us to leave this room the same. Father, change us because of your word and because of your spirit. God, we love you and we trust you. We know that you are good and loving and oh so powerful. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. All right, we're diving in. First Samuel chapter 25, starting in verse two. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. 
She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. The message version said that he was brutish. The New Living says he was crude. Either way, this guy had a lot of sheep and goats, but he was kind of a jerk. That's what you need to know about him. And everybody knew it. Now, lots of sheep and goats in that day actually meant that he was very, very wealthy. So he had the reputation of being very wealthy, but also being a jerk. It's just how it went. All right, start in verse four. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. So here's what you need to know. David, at this point, was a force to be reckoned with. The story had spread about how God had chosen him as king instead of Saul, that his blessing was on David and not on Saul. And he now has a band of fighters that are following him around. Frankly, these guys were a little bit like land of misfit toys. Okay, these guys were rough and they were tumble, but David was starting to transform them into what would become a band of mighty men, mighty men that followed David everywhere he went. And at this point, he had about 600 of them that went along with him everywhere he went. And David was still on the run from Saul. And so he had found himself near where Nabal's shepherds were and herdsmen's were. And so these guys were uh, a force to be reckoned with. He was famous. He was very famous. But what I want to point out to you is that David, in his message to Nabal, did not show that part off. He came in completely humble, even calling himself servant and son of this very rich man. So David had humbled himself and was giving this man a lot more than we will find that he deserved. The other thing you need to know is that David's request for provision was not out of line in that day and culture. Okay, so David went and said, hey, I've got lots of guys out here. We need some food and you are, it's sheep shearing time, which means all that money is coming in right now. We could use some food. We could use some provision. And in that culture, oftentimes when you provided protection like David and his men would have provided, because listen, nobody's going to mess with your sheep if you've got 600 mighty men camping right near you. Nobody's going to come in and try and steal things whenever David and his men are there. So he had provided this service, this service of protection for Nabal's herds and his herdsmen. And so his ask of, hey, could you just give us something? Could you give us some provisions? Would not have been out of line, not in any way. So he wasn't asking for more than he deserved because he had been protecting him. But you should hear Nabal's response, starting in verse 10. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? I told you sheep man was a jerk. (laughs) 
David's like, hey, we've been protecting you. Could you just give us a little bit of something since it's a really good time for you? It's a festive time. Can you give us something? And Nabal says, who is this and why should I? Nabal was repaying good with evil. David had provided good, and Nabal said, let me show you evil. Let me show you this part. David had given him respect and kindness he didn't deserve, and he is repaying him with disgust and demeaning. So David's men go back empty-handed and report what Nabal said, and David's response was, strap on your swords. I see you, David. (laughs) Like, I get it. He was ticked. He was ticked. He said, strap on your swords. I'll strap on mine. Let's get him. This guy is a jerk. (laughs) David was ready to repay evil with evil. He wanted justice. Nabal might have been repaying good with evil, but David wanted to repay evil for evil. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went back and filled Abigail in. Remember, Abigail was Nabal's wife, who the Bible says was intelligent and beautiful. He filled her in on David's request, Nabal's insulting um, response, and then he took the time to recount how David's men had cared for him, how they had cared for the flocks and the herdsmen. He had even described them as a protective wall around them. And then you can hear the desperation in his plea, starting in verse 17. It says, this is the servant talking to Abigail. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. You know, it sticks out to me that the servant went straight to Abigail. Nabal might have had a reputation, but evidently so did Abigail. Abigail had a reputation of being the cooler head, the wise one, the one that would know what to do. And he knew that if they were going to survive what was about to happen, Abigail would know what to do, and she did. Verse 18 says that she acted quickly. She organized a ton of food and wine and sent her servants ahead of her. She was like, take the food and go. I'm right behind you. And then she would follow them shortly. Take note, friends, always lead with bread and cheese. (laughs) We can learn so much from Abigail. (laughs) When things are looking hairy, start with baked goods. It will always help for sure. David's anger, however, was not cooling down. Have you ever taken a walk trying to cool down and all that happened is you got more angry the longer you walked? Sounds like that's what was happening with David because David, right before he got to Abigail, right before he got there, he vowed to leave no man alive in Nabal's household. He had moved from angry to murderous and he was ready to take out the whole household the whole thing. He wanted to pay evil with evil. And it was the custom, guys. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. David wasn't out of line with the culture, but he was out of line with the heart of God. I'll be honest, even as I read this story, I feel the heat rising. When you hear Nabal's words, first of all, did you hear how many times he said, mine, 
mine, mine. He sounds like those uh, seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. (laughs) The guy's a jerk. And I felt the anger rising. So when David said, strap on your swords, I was looking for mine. Do you feel that way sometimes even now? When you see evil that happens in the world, don't you want justice? Don't you feel righteous anger? You should. It's not bad. That's God's character in you. That desire for justice, that's God's character in you. But where we get it wrong is who and how and when justice is served. And that's where we start to get off track. And that's where David was starting to get off track. Abigail comes at it from a different angle, though. You're going to love her. She is brilliant. And we're gonna, we are going to read all of her words because they are so good. Starting in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. This is a brave woman. This was an extremely dangerous situation. Remember what this looked like. This is David, red in the face, red hot angry, with 400 of his men with their swords at the ready to go kill Nabal and his household. That is what this woman is staring down as she throws herself at the feet of these men with a few muffins. She is a brave woman. She was willing to put it all on the line to save her household, even her stupid husband. She was ready to put it on the line for him. She humbles herself, and then I love this, she doesn't wait to hear his answer, she just keeps going. Verse 25, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men, my Lord said. Nabal actually means fool. That's what his name means. You better hope his mama did not give him that name. What kind of mother does that? I have to believe that she did not give him that name. But history did. History did. We keep going in verse 26. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. Hear this. This is Jedi master level work. She is staring down these men who are ready to take out the household, and she goes, I know you're not going to do that. I know you think you are, but you're not. The Lord has stayed your hand. She calls out in David a better story. She calls out in David. She reminds him that he is the anointed and the chosen one. She reminds him who he is, and it is beautiful. She reminds David of his anointing, his calling. She calls out future good and future holiness in this man that's standing in front of her. And she acknowledges the pressure that he's under. 
She knows he's been running from Saul for a long time. And so she says, listen, I know that you're not going to do this, even though I can totally see why you would. I know you're not going to do this. Verse 29, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. She's so good. (laughs) She just drops it in there. What do you think David's heart did when she mentioned the weapon that he defeated that giant with? He was being faced with the faithfulness of God. God had, take care, God had taken care of his enemies before, and she says he will take care of them again. David's heart must have softened. He, it must have. And then in verse 30, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. She is pointing to his future and she is telling him a better version of the story than the one he was about to write. She is saying, is this a story you want to tell your grandbabies? I don't think so. When you're king sitting on your throne with a crown on your head, when God has given you everything that he has promised you, do you really want to have this as part of your storyline? I don't think so. Let me show you a better way. Is this the story you want to tell of your life? When you are faced with evil, What story do you want to tell? Nabal was repaying good with evil. Nobody wants to be that guy. Do we even need to go over that? None of us in the room think it's a good plan that when someone is kind to you, you're a jerk back, right? We don't need to spend too much time there. David wanted to repay evil with evil. He wanted justice. He wanted to take care of business. That righteous anger was, was rising up in him, and he wanted to take care of that justice. But Abigail was suggesting something far ahead of her time, the gospel. She was suggesting that he repay evil with good. Paul says it this way in 1 Peter 3, 9. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. To this we were called. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Giving out grace like God gave us. See, justice is getting what you deserve, Right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace, grace is receiving a gift you don't deserve. That's what God gave us. He didn't just save us from what we deserve. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. It would have been enough for God to just save us from that. But he gave us more. 
He gave us relationship with him, full relationship with the creator of the universe. He gave us love. He gave us grace. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us more, and he continues to give us more and more and more, even though we deserve death. And so what we are called to, those who are followers of Jesus, what we are called to is to give out grace like God gave us. That's how we show the world what grace is. Now David does see how God provided him a way out through Abigail's wisdom and her bravery. And Abigail goes home back to Nabal, who has decided that the best thing to do at this moment is to throw himself a party worthy of a king. And the Bible says, not me, that he got sloshed. He is completely drunk, and Abigail has to wait until the next morning for him to sober up, and then she tells him what she's done. And he has a heart attack. I am not even joking. That's actually what happened. The Bible says he became like stone, and 10 days later, he died. Now, Fortunately, and sometimes unfortunately, God's justice doesn't come that swiftly. But God still did take care of justice. He took care of it. Saved Abigail from a life with sheepy, jerky guy. And she took care of David as well. Maybe you find yourself needing that grace Maybe you find yourself in the story and go, okay, listen, I get it, sin, whatever. There is like stealing from a cookie jar and then there's what I did. And I think what I did, it doesn't deserve grace. You are absolutely correct, it does not. Neither does what I did. Neither does what you did. None of us deserve that grace. We don't even really deserve the mercy And yet God, in his love and in his holiness, gives us grace. So maybe you find yourself needing that grace for the very first time today. And I want to assure you there is nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it again. There is nothing so broken that he cannot mend, and there is nothing so lost that he cannot find it. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you realize that you need him and you just don't know how to start. We would love to help you along that journey. Out in the lobby, we have these journals called This Changes Everything because grace actually does. It does change everything. And so if you want to start that journey into understanding how much God loves you and how his grace will cover every bit of your sin and your mess up, Then go out to the lobby and grab one of these. It's 21 days of a journal that will walk you through that love and grace. Maybe you know that you're sitting in mess, but you're not sure about this Jesus stuff. I totally get it. This is for you too. Give it 21 days. What can it hurt? What can it hurt? But for each of us, even if you've accepted that grace already, The question for us today is what story are we telling with our lives? Are we telling a story of justice and taking matters into our own hands? Or are we telling the story of grace? Are we telling the story that Abigail offers David? When someone has hurt you, 
Do you offer grace? Do you love them? Or do you strap on your sword? You're ready for it. You know, I don't have a sword. I wouldn't be good at it. I'd probably hurt myself. But my tongue can get awful sharp sometimes. Anybody else? Yeah. Or maybe you are feeling a little more passive aggressive about it. (laughs) Maybe when someone harms you, you just do the old silent treatment situation. You just figure there's a lot of space on this planet. I will just avoid them for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, that's your mother. You can't do that. (laughs) Just kidding, mommy. We're cool. Um, But how are you showing grace? Because y'all, we are Jesus with skin on to the world. We are the ones that get to live out grace. How can we expect anyone to understand how much God loves them and is willing to give them grace even when they screw up over and over and over if we don't show them grace when they've hurt us? How can they know if us, if the church doesn't show them? For this we are called, to give out grace that God lavished on us too. So what does grace look like for you today? Is there a phone call you need to make before you leave the parking lot? Is there some baked goods you need to go deliver? Lead with baked goods. What is it that you need to do today? Will you stand with me as we close? Thank you so much for coming to church with me today. I am so glad that you're here. A special welcome to any guests that we have today. First, second, or third time, we're glad that you're here. Anyone in this room can show you where the new friends area is out there. We'd love to meet you, to look you in the eyes, to shake your hand, to get to know your name. And then would you give us a couple weeks? Get to know us. Don't just come once and be like, that was weird. I'm not here every week, don't worry. (laughs) Get to know us, let us get to know you and see what God has for you here at Northgate. Thank you each for your generosity. I wanna personally say thank you. When you give here at Northgate, your money does not only take care of things here, but it takes care of things throughout our city and our region and our world. So thank you, you are a part of something so big. And if you are a part of the Dollar Club for the very first time today, you can just drop a dollar in the boxes as you leave today. We're so glad that you do that. I've seen firsthand how it can change people's lives. So thank you for doing that. And now as every week, I'm going to leave you the blessing. So you can just put your hands out like this. It's just a posture of receiving. May God lavish his grace so richly on you this week that you barf it all over the world. (laughs) I love you guys, see you soon.